0: My name's Ralph, and I'm a bad guy. I'm a wrecker. I wreck things. Professionally.
1: Ah! I'm gonna wreck it!
2: Welcome to the now-playing Wreck-It Ralph retrospective series. What's
0: going on in this candy-coated
2: heart of darkness? Hosted by Stuart. You are the universe's greatest hero. Arnie. Well, (laughs)
3: why didn't you tell me I was in the presence of a genius?
2: And Justin. He doesn't get mad because he's so rad. These conversations will be spoiler filled and may contain objectionable language. Boy, is the filthy bag in your filthy mouth again. listener discretion is advised and we are online
3: today we're discussing wreck it ralph starring john c riley sarah silverman jack mcbrayer jane lynch alan tudyk mindy kaling joe latruglio ed O'Neill, dennis haisberg edie mcclure because it's really easy to get a big voice cast directed by rich moore this is your co-host of now playing
0: review it arnie
1: and i'm gonna review it and Stuart without his children of the candy corn
0: <laughs> and this is the podcaster with the most tragic backstory ever programmed justin
3: yeah you mentioned your children of the candy corn i almost feel like i needed to adopt imaginary children because here we are We had a brief discussion offline. This isn't our first Disney film, but it feels like it. It's our first Disney original film. Big Hero 6 was a Disney film, but it was a Disney film adapted from a Marvel property. As much as they'd like to try to make us forget that, as now that's a TV show on the Disney channel. Ah, that would happen to it. So no sequel, good. (laughs) Yeah, it did well enough to continue as a TV series without T.J. Miller, but not good enough to do another movie. How would they even title that? Would it be Big Hero 7? Big Hero 6. The battle continues. You know, (laughs) Wreck-It Ralph breaks the internet, you know? Sure. (laughs) Here we are in full Disneyland... And, you know, I do not find it a world of magic and a world of cheers. I find it a world of saccharine commercialism. I just need to put my bias out at the start of the show. Here's my problem with Disney. It's not that I hate them. And I realize I'm coming from a place of questionable stability as a person with Star Wars and Marvel tattoos. Mm -hmm. But I find their stuff to be so shallow and so aimed at kids that watching it... I went back and tried to watch 321 Contact, which I remembered being the edgy adult version of Sesame Street when I was a kid. You know, you started at Sesame Street, then you had your electric company, and if you were really cool, 321 Contact. It does not hold up.
0: Oh, uh, that show only worked when they had an episode of the Bloodhound Gang on it. <laughs> yeah, that was the only thing I like
1: about
3: it. I only liked Spider-Man on Electric Company at that <laughs> with Morgan Freeman. But. I just think that all their stuff, compared to Pixar and even compared to what Warner is doing, to be so milk toast. And I just do not understand grown people who just love Disney and without kids want to go on Disney cruises and all of that. I refer to them as disnuts. I just don't get it.
1: It's an awfully big tapestry you're throwing over Disney by saying that you don't like their product. They've been around so long, 90 years at this point. You hate everything Snow White. Listen, it's not for me anymore. I went back and rewatched Peter
3: Pan when we did Hook. It's not for me anymore. I remember liking Aladdin for the Robin Williams stuff, but there's nothing that I would give beyond a passing glance. And... Yeah, you you say they've been around. Yeah, I love that we start with a pixelated steamboat Willie here, but I can't think of a Disney product that is not Pixar, that is not Marvel, that is not Lucasfilm, that is not Touchstone or Miramax or some of their other subsidiaries. Any Disney cartoon that comes out for their time in the 50s, their animation was cutting edge. But their storytelling, its entire success is based upon a bland taste that brings in the most people imaginable. They're the McDonald's of movie makers. And I'll go through a drive through once in a while, but nobody's going to say that a quarter pounder is gourmet.
0: I can agree with you on that, Arnie. Like, I can see both sides. And I'll add to that, that what Disney is, is a slice of America. It's a microcosm of what being American is, you know? It's kind of homogeneously, a little bit Christian, but without being preachy, and it's mostly white. And now that they've gotten older, yes, they're trying to do some diversity in some of their things. But put a lot of that aside, as a dad, I've had kids growing up, and neither one of them ever really latched on to Disney. Rory was never a Disney princess type of kid. Tyler didn't get into all these movies that were out about that time. So I can see why somebody can become a fan of Disney much the same way we're a fan of Star Wars, warts and all. I can see that. I can also see the hatred for the rolling corporation that they are as they get bigger and eat up more of our beloved properties and stuff like that.
3: And eat up many of our politicians so they can keep that copyright law in their pocket.
0: (laughs) Totally. And, hey, I mean, I've had my run-ins with Disney. I've gotten mean letters directly from their lawyers before, so. We may
1: be getting some after this show. (laughs) I'm sitting here counting my blessings. Do I have anything to be thankful for as we head towards Thanksgiving? No, because my show got taken
0: away. (laughs) (laughs) but i guess where i'm landing with that is is going into a movie like this before i had seen it yeah i would have called myself a pixar guy and let's see what you can do disney but i don't have big expectations well that's the thing about
3: wreck it ralph i really wanted to see this when it came out because damn does it do a good job of being a pixar ripoff right i mean i thought this was a pixar movie when i bought it i bought this when it was a new digital release and i'm like we're gonna watch the new pixar film Wait, no, it's a Pixar wannabe film. It's Toy Story with Pixels.
1: Right, and Pixar is part of Disney. I mean, you can't really separate them, although I do agree. There is a different quality control when you look at the early John Lasseter directed Pixar efforts. I'll just say it this way. Anytime you hang around long enough, you're going to have ebbs and flows. Disney has had great moments and low moments. Catch it at the right age and you might really respond to some of it. I think that its hallmark really was the Katzenberg years. I think of the good Disney movies being actually the princess movies. Anytime they had a boy it was a problem anytime they had a girl it usually was a good one beauty and the beast little mermaid those were the ones to check out okay yeah maybe aladdin but you'd skip hunchback whatever that atlantis crap was I sometimes like the music from that stuff, but I couldn't even stand the Phil Collins song from Tarzan, and I liked Phil. Yeah, I was off the train (laughs) by that point. But Pixar, too, I think has had ebbs and flows, and maybe it's time for someone else to prove that they can do what they can do. I had not seen Wreck-It Ralph. I thought I had. I had said, oh, yeah, I'm pretty sure I saw this one, and then I remembered. I think I started it, and like you, Arnie, was disappointed when I realized it wasn't Pixar, and I think it played out, but I was doing other things. I did not give it any real consideration. consideration. It changes it when you have kids around in your life. I also saw Zootopia, not because I wanted to, but because I am an uncle and little girls that could sing every note of the Shakira song said it's a great movie. And sometimes the magic is not the movie on the screen, but watching the audience enjoy it in your living room. I do think that there is something to be said about experiencing a family movie with a family that can't be replicated when you're just watching it at home by yourself, taking notes.
3: (laughs) Understand, I am never going to diss children's entertainment for children. When I was young, I liked Sesame Street on ice. I remember being at the convention center holding my count felty on a stick. Remember, you know, that's supposed to be <laughs> where you hang up. It was kind of like a sign, like a pennant at a football oh. game, only it was the count. And so it's on a like a dowel. And I remember liking... 101 Dalmatians, the record album, and the Jungle Book, the record album, when I was really young. It probably doesn't help anything that Disney had some crap years when we were growing up. They were big to basically our parents' generation because of, yes, Snow White and all of that. And then they became big again in the Katzenberg
1: years. Yeah, let's underline that. When you and I were going to see movies, the last thing you were going to do, the very last thing you were going to see, was a new Disney animated film. They came out very rare, and when they did come out, they were Black Caudron, Oliver and Company, Great Mouse Detective. (laughs) Just crappy films that no one liked. And so we didn't. We missed it. We were too old for Little Mermaid when it came out. I was in high school and I still liked it when I saw it. I'm like, hey, this would have been one of my favorite movies if I had seen it at the right age. I could still recognize the quality. And I do think that you're right. That doesn't endear us to want to see our old friend Disney still doing well in this day and age because we just don't have those childhood nostalgic. I mean, they made Tron. They made Black
0: Hole. I saw those. (laughs) Yeah, Black Hole, Black Cauldron. Black Stallion was kind of a yawn fest. (laughs) Tron was pretty black. I mean, I guess they just were going through their goth years.
3: But yeah, when I really was thinking about cartoons I liked as a kid, I remember my older sisters, who are quite a bit older than me. They're basically baby boomers to my Gen X. I remember being a kid and they were all shocked that I hadn't seen so many of those Disney films as a kid because, you know, now Disney has their vault. They're going to re-release it on video. But before then... Their vault was, we're going to put it back in theaters. Lady and the Tramp was the one. It was re-released in theaters. And my sister was like, you've never seen Lady and the Tramp. I hadn't even heard of Lady and the Tramp. So when I was thinking about the movies I liked, I'm like, you know, I'll give them this. An American tale was really oh wait that's not them
1: <laughs> he broke <laughs> off yeah Don Bluth was kind of cool with Secret of Nim I thought that was a cool one but uh, <laughs> even after that yeah Fievel and All Dogs Go to Heaven I was I didn't see a lot of animated movies at an impressionable age and consequently as I approach this movie in adulthood I'm not that jazz we're only really here because it's like a secret level of video games right we're only doing this because we're kind of tying it in the same way that we did with Ready Player One into the the idea that this is a movie that celebrates game culture, even though it isn't a direct adaptation of any particular game. Although I imagine there probably is a Wreck-It-Ralph game now. Yeah, they put one out for Flash that was free
3: to play at the time. Right now, for Wreck-It-Ralph Breaks the Internet, I just looked today, there's a Pac-Man for iPhone that's free that has Wreck-It-Ralph characters that I haven't played it yet. I'll have played it by next week, but I'm guessing Wreck-It-Ralph comes in and messes
0: with the game. Yeah. And I mean, it might be kind of a cheat because every Disney character is in there, but they have that game where you buy the little action figure and you put it on the base. And now that character is playable in the world. Disney Infinity. And it. There you go. It didn't last.
3: They even had all the Star Wars and Marvel characters in it. And somehow they just could not compete with the Skylanders.
0: <laughs> well, even though this isn't based directly on a game, the game in the movie is Fix It Felix Jr. Which, (laughs) I happen to find an actual arcade machine of this at Walmart. It's a little $20 handheld thing. But you can play the levels of Fix-It Felix Jr. right here on your screen. So... I was a little disappointed how little there is to do there. There's no cut scenes, there's no intro. There's no
3: wedding scene where, like, Felix marries the character from... No,
0: none of that fun stuff, man. Like, even on, in the movie, we'll see some cut scenes where he gets up there and he wrecks stuff, and they throw him off the side and all that stuff. None of that happens here. They throw him off the side, but you're always looking at the building. So there's none of this off-to-the-side stuff, but... Disney did make actual arcade machines of this that I think has the full experience and threw it in some of their little known arcades around the country for a while there.
3: They also had one of the best bonus features on the Blu-ray for this. They have fake commercials for this, like, come down to the arcade, bring your quarters, two free quarters on your birthday, and like really scratched up negatives and things for these 80s games, the fix-it felix jr and for sugar rush and then they had more modern ones for Heroes duty and things i I like that they go into that little level of detail for it and you know i may not be a disney kid but god knows i'm an 8-bit person at heart i love 8-bit that's what got my eye with wreck-it ralph is cubert you put Cubert in something. I'm there. I love Cubert. I watched the Cubert cartoon. I had little construction paper Cubert characters of Wrong Way and Ugh all over my room. Cubert <laughs> was my jam. And if you're gonna pull Cubert out, I mean, yes, everyone knows Pac-Man. Everyone knows Donkey Kong. But if you're gonna bring in Cubert, you're showing me you're a little bit more legit. The fact that Wreck-It Ralph. He looked like a human Donkey Kong. You definitely could see the inspiration. It's not a real game, but it's a game enough that, yes, this one had my attention. It caught my eye. I was anxious to revisit 8-Bit World.
1: All right, well, let's do it then, Arnie. Give him the plot, and we'll jump into this coin-op world of theirs. In the 80s, everyone had Pac-Man
3: fever. Kids swarm
1: to arcades to compulsively
3: feed quarters into Donkey Kong, Tron, Dig Dug, Frogger, Qbert, and Fix-It Felix Jr. An 8-bit blast where your hero Felix tries to repair damage made to a high-rise by his nemesis, Wreck-It Ralph. But now 30 years have passed and Ralph, voiced by John C. Reilly, is having a bit of a midlife crisis. He's tired of being the bad guy and ostracized by all the citizens in his game. When the arcade closes, the characters travel through the power cords to interact with each other, and Ralph even joins a support group for bad guys with Bowser and Zangief. But when the citizens of the game give Felix a medal for 30 years of fixing the house, Ralph decides he's going to go to other games to get a medal of his own. And he actually gets a medal from the shooter game Hero's Duty, but while fleeing one of that game's evil insects, Ralph ends up in the racing game Sugar Rush. Their character Vanellope Van Schweetz, voiced by Sarah Silverman, steals Ralph's medal. Vanellope is a malfunctioning glitch ostracized by her own candy-coated land, but she thinks if she can win the race, she'll be accepted. And to get his medal back, Ralph says he'll help Vanellope get her car and win the race, and the two outcasts form a deep friendship. But we have three other plots going on. First, Felix, voiced by Jack McBrayer, is hunting the grid to bring Ralph back because without his nemesis, Fix-It Felix Jr. The Game has been declared out of order. Felix actually partners with Heroes Duty Sergeant Calhoun, voiced by Jane Lynch. Calhoun is hunting an escaped bug that followed Ralph into Sugar Rush. Third, the ruler of Sugar Rush, King Candy, voiced by Alan Tudyk, is intentionally trying to prevent Vanellope from racing. While he tells Ralph it's because if she wins the race, her glitch could have all of Sugar Rush declared out of order, the truth of it is, King Candy is rogue character Turbo. No, sadly, not related to the ColecoVision game. Instead, Turbo is a character who tried to take over the racing game Road Blasters, and his axe caused that game to be unplugged. He now lives undercover, ruling Sugar Rush, which he conquered by giving Vanellope amnesia. See... Vanellope is actually a Disney princess and ruler of Sugar Crush. But with Felix and Ralph's aid, Vanellope does win her race and get her memory back. And Ralph saves Sugar Rush from the Cybug attack. And Felix falls in love with and marries Sergeant Calhoun and Ralph returns back to his own game where he's accepted and befriended by the citizens of that game, and across the arcade he's able to see Vanellope has become a popular character in her own game,
1: as credits roll. I just want to ask, they imply that some games go away and some hang around this arcade. It's a 30-year-old arcade. Are there any arcades left? What is this place that we're expected to believe has kept Fix-It Felix around, but is also bringing in things like Heroes Duty? It should have had Dave and Buster's on the outside, actually,
3: and then I would have bought it.
0: Right. (laughs) Right. But then again, that takes cards and not quarters. I mean, we're kind of living in like a little bit of a timeless zone here where it's not necessarily nailed down that we're in 2010 or 2012. This could be anywhere between, I would say, 95 and modern day.
3: I've been to a number of barcades. Yes, there aren't a lot of kids there, but they have all kinds of games, old and new, sitting next to each other. I loved this one I went to in New Orleans that had this brand new, completely immersive VR Star Wars game. Literally next to pole position <laughs> and Tapper. It was just a great place to spend time. I recently went to a Chuck E. Cheese, thinking I could play some arcade games, and that place is so depressing. They've turned it into Kitty Vegas. Did they let you in without a kid? They do, although they give you a look. But their <laughs> pizza is terrible. But I just wanted to play some arcade games. There's no arcade games. Every single thing there is gambling. <laughs> believe it. It's like, we're training the kids to go to Atlantic City. That was my arcade. That's what, when I look at this, I think of two things. Aladdin's Castle and Chuck E. Cheese Pizza. Both chains, one of which served pizza and one of which didn't, and both of which I spent hundreds of dollars at as a kid.
1: And no doubt that's why he's going to break the internet with the new movie. It's because they realize this concept they have. It works for the story they want to tell, that there's an arcade and all the characters after hours get together in some central place and party. But There is no place like an arcade that we knew growing up. When you wanted to see these characters back then, you had to go to a communal place. That was really important. Yeah, you could buy the version for home, but it usually sucked. I mean, Atari 2600's Donkey Kong, we've already talked about that. I got so
3: pissed off. I had like a flash memory remembering that Wrong Way and Ugg were not even in Qbert for the Atari or the Coleco. That just pissed me (laughs) off.
1: Right. So my point is they created this fanciful place that's not real and so therefore I think there's going to be a certain segment of the audience that's not going to have any personal identification this is all for the people that were alive to play and remember an arcade and not necessarily for the child audience they're going to be better served by the candy land that we go to later but for the setup of this it's sort of an adult fantasy it is what I remember thinking when I was growing up What would it be like to see all these people in a live action movie? What would it be like to see their story outside of 8-bit?
0: And at the same time, an arcade isn't such a concept that kids couldn't understand that there were places like this. I mean, arcade machines still exist. I mean, go to a local pizzeria and there's a pinball machine and a couple cabinets sitting there. So I think a kid could grab onto this concept of a whole store filled with these things and not get too lost in the concept.
1: I wonder if they maybe saw King of Kong because the Litwick, the guy that runs the place, he's wearing a referee
0: shirt. I was thinking the same thing. Walter. Walter
1: Day. Yeah. You know, he was that kind of guy. So maybe they just found that one arcade that still exists. <laughs> but again, no kids in that place.
3: I. Definitely thought they were going off King of Kong because at the very end of the credits, there's a kill screen with like half the screen all jibbed up like we saw Mm -hmm. in King of Kong. I'm like, they are definitely referencing or watching that. And why wouldn't you? If you're making a movie about video games at the time, you would consume every bit. They probably were smart enough to avoid things like Postal and Max Payne, but they sure watched King of Kong and anything older than that.
1: They probably even watched the John Leguizamo Super Mario Brothers. And my biggest curiosity coming into this, I knew so little I don't think I saw a trailer, and if I did, I wasn't thinking about going to see it. Again, I have a real blind spot when it comes to animated films, but how are they going to do it? Were they going to do it 8-bit style? Was it going to look like Lego movie? with the whole thing be like it is here in the intro when you get to see what you would have seen if you walked up to a coin op in 1983
3: oh i would have loved that game Of course,
1: it wouldn't actually appeal to the true demographic. It would only have appealed to us. I love, I can't tell you how much, like, I would watch Crime and Punishment. If someone could program that for the Atari, like, (laughs) I just love watching real things get turned into this, which is why, you know, I get the appeal of Minecraft, even though when I play it, I'm like, uh, but what's happening? (laughs) There is just something delightful about seeing the world reduced to a few pixels. The thing they did, here was the compromise, and I didn't
3: catch it. I didn't see it. I'm not an animator. Justin, I'll look to you to see if you could call this out. But in watching the bonus features, what they tried to do was scale back their state-of-the-art animation so that the 8-bit characters would move 8-bit. They would never move diagonal, with the exception of Ralph, because... A, they wanted Ralph to be a lovable character, and B, Ralph's sick of it all anyway, but they'll all move on the grid, everything in that land is based on cubes, things like that. Very subtle details that would harken to 8-bit without alienating 92% of their audience.
0: (laughs) Well, yeah, and that's apparent, especially inside of the game of Fix-It Felix Jr., Because when they're in there, all the characters that live in the tower, if you watch them move, they're like almost dropping a frame rate. You know, in the dance party scene, they're all doing very herky-jerky type of moves that seems like, yeah, this is a nice in-between of an 8-bit and a smooth animation. But... Just having that little bit up front, I don't think I could watch a whole movie like that. I feel like I'd be maybe getting ready to glitch out myself.
1: It's not for everyone, but it would be for me. I would love to have seen it all done in that way. And again, all movies. Like, remake everything in that style, and I will watch it.
0: (laughs) I'm sure there's YouTube channels dedicated to that.
1: There are, and I get so lost
3: in those where they take movies and do it all in 8-bit style, there's Pulp Fiction. Really? This is done? Yes. I so
1: am not a YouTube person, but I need to find this
3: Yeah, I've seen Halloween and Kill Bill and Star Wars oh, all I love in 8-bit formats, <laughs> and it's great. I'll just spend hours doing that, but I don't know that I could go to a theater and watch it on a big screen for
1: 100 minutes. N- not only that, but they make the point when they pull out of the machine and then go back in, these characters have a 3D life. So it makes sense that when it's after hours and kids go home, we see more of them than you would when you're playing that screen. But the best part of this entire movie is the first few seconds of this movie where we just get to see them reference the Donkey Kong dance and tearing down a building Rampage style. They're clearly referencing all the games that I played and loved as we get to see who Ralph is.
0: Oh yeah, this movie is just chock full of Easter eggs and little secrets and little aside jokes that are just, sometimes you're going to have to watch the movie three or four times to catch all of them, but yeah, you can tell right away that this movie is made by people who have an affinity for the history of games.
3: And as somebody who has that, I really do appreciate all that they're bringing in and all the licenses that they're working with so that you can have characters from Street Fighter and Pac-Man and all the little things going on that they do, but I didn't get from the trailer that this was going to be Toy Story, the video game version. But when I watched this the first time, as soon as I see them all traveling uh, subway through power cords into the power strip that is the terminal and hanging out together, and we're going to see what happens after the arcade closes... I'm just not sure that I believe that conceit because these characters don't go in the toy box together. I can believe Mr. Potato Head may have a thing for Barbie because I remember mixing and mashing my toys as a kid as much as I may love to see Qbert and Pac-Man join forces I just never could understand how they'd interrelate like this
1: and wouldn't the people from Hero's Duty just like make fun of the old stodgy grandpas that are moving in an 8-bit? <laughs> and I wonder if during the writing of this, this movie has a lot of writers on it. All animated films do. They always pass it around and 30 people write something and 5 or 10 people get credited. I wondered if that wasn't going to be the battle. I assumed that the Buzz Lightyear was our Ralph year. He was the 8-bit and he was going to meet some newfangled thing who was more like Woody or something like that. And we would have that adventure. It isn't that, but that becomes subtext. It's not the story
0: they're here to tell. Right. And like you said, Stuart, they get that out of the way right away. I mean, we have a meeting where we get all these disparate characters from disparate games over a span of many years. They're all recognizable, but they're not going to be in their own little styles. You know, Blinky or whichever ghost that was, wasn't an 8-bit. Clyde. Clyde, maybe. Yeah. He...
3: <laughs> not maybe. Stuart knows. Oh, Yeah. <laughs>
0: But I'm with you, Arnie. For me, with an animated kids movie, I need to be in on the conceit of what magic world we're going to go into. With Toy Story, you're right. I can imagine toys coming to life when I'm not there. And it's kind of actually where I fell off with Pixar, because I could go along with bugs having a life. I could go along with monsters living in another world. Cars is where I was like, yeah, nope, this isn't for me. <laughs>
3: Cars? You mean Doc Hollywood, the animated movie? Exactly. <laughs> What I found interesting is you talked about all the writers and it's only a 15 minute featurette, but I actually do recommend it off this Blu-ray where they talk about the evolution of what this story was going to be. Mm. Could you believe the entire idea was them sitting around going, it's going to be Fix-It Felix falls in love. Mm -hmm. And the hero of the game was going to be Fix-It Felix. And they had Wreck-It Ralph was going to be this monkey monster looking thing that nobody liked. And like after three or four drafts, this cadre of writers realized this is the guy the story needs to be about. Felix, he has everything going for him. But what about this monster we have that's off living in bricks? So the fact that they didn't have this in mind when they started shows that... Yes, sometimes there can be a too many cooks situation, and I think that's the case a lot where a couple people work on a script, then a couple more people come in and rewrite the script and rewrite the script. Here, though, it was more like a writer's room, and they were really being pushed, you know? john Lasseter really kept pushing them and they'd go to him with a script and he'd like you know you guys have something here now let's take it in this direction let's keep working it and working it and not rushing them into it and they even had cut scenes that were pencil animation with the animators doing the voiceover and their scenes and i'm like where in the hell would this even have fit there was a moment where wreck it ralph got so disparaged He went off, and he basically went to Extreme Venus Vacation. Remember that from Dead or Alive, the beach (laughs) game where you just play volleyball and things? He and a surfer dude went to a different game where everything was cool, and you just partied, and you danced on the beach, and you just had fun all the time. And for some reason, he was not content there and left, but... (laughs) I'm like, how does that even fit into this movie? Well, it fit four or five drafts ago.
0: Sure. And I can see that being one set dressing too many. You know, we're already jumping from all these different worlds to different worlds, but you said something there that makes me kind of wonder when the casting became a thing and when the character development became a thing, because with our, at least our first four major characters here. I feel like the design of them takes a lot of the actual actors looks and personality and animates them.
3: What I found is that the casting was actually done before the script. They knew who was going to be who, because the animators were trying to mimic John Riley's voice. And I guess Sarah Silverman doesn't have a lot going on as she came in and did all kinds of readings for just tests and things that they'd show. So they Obviously knew what they were going for, which makes me wonder if John Riley thought he was in for like a couple of weeks in a recording studio and the next thing you know, oh, you're the lead now. And they did something else that I found interesting. I've seen so many making of animated films where I feel bad for the people because they're just sitting in a room doing their lines again and again. They actually brought all these people in to record their dialogue. They always record the dialogue before animation so they can time it right but it led to a lot of ad-libbing and things. So the actors themselves really brought a lot to their characters that wasn't on the page in a way you don't normally see unless you're Robin Williams in Aladdin in an animated film.
0: Yeah, and I think that comes through. I mean, a lot of that synergy is there on the screen, too. That's why I was wondering what the timing of that was.
1: I also think it was very trendy around this time. I mean, I guess it goes all the way back to Hook, but it became very trendy to recast fairy tale villains as the central figure. You know, on Broadway, Wicked became a big thing, and it was all about looking at the Wicked Witch of the West being more sympathetic than Dorothy. And Shrek kind of had a lot to do with thinking differently about fairy tales, Maleficent. They're even working on a Cruella DeVille movie right now. I just think that's kind of where we're at. And so that is a fresh take. Well, what does it mean for the villain? That they have to play a role that they don't want to. That they have to always be the bad guy when they have a gooey heart of John C. Riley? That gives you some dramatic weight to play with.
3: Yeah, and to me, this just seems like the ultimate disney story the fact that they worked so hard to get to what i feel every disney movie has was dumbfounding to me because when i watched the movie for this review before doing any of the bonus features so i'd seen the movie twice and i'm watching it and i'm like here we go it's the story of the outcast learning self-acceptance and learning friends you know what bugs me about this movie and it really bugs me felix is too nice I think Felix should really be a bit of a nemesis. I would picture him as basically the Winklevi from the social network is who Felix should be. The fact that Felix is such a nice guy and everybody's nice and the only bad person we have turns out to be the king of Candyland that everybody's just going to get along in the end. It just felt so wretchedly saccharine. And I would like to see, I think Pixar would bring more nuance to these characters instead of everybody's good, but we just need to kind of come to terms with who we are.
1: I'll argue that Pixar played the same formula. I would argue the nuanced idea is to have no villains. To say that there are good people and bad people is unnuanced. What they've always done is pit Woody and Buzz together, or whatever the monsters are together. I mean, they, you have oddball couples, and they work out their problems, but nobody is defined as bad. I think that they were definitely looking at Buzz and Woody and thinking Ralph and Felix will be the movie, and then they ended up finding that the movie itself didn't lead them to together until the end.
0: And add to that, you know, you say that the only bad guy turns out to be Turbo, but he had that entire land of Sugar Rush brainwashed and they all treated Vanellope as if she was a bad person. So you had a whole land of bad people essentially. So I think having Felix be a little bit on the nasty side just to have a little bit of contention between him and Ralph would be kind of overdoing it by time they get to Sugar Rush land.
3: Perhaps. I just the movie's called Wreck-It Ralph. Vanellope is a different issue that we'll get to. I have issues with that character and her plight overall. But when looking at Ralph's whole thing, I'll say this. I like the entire first half hour of this film a lot. I like seeing Ralph trying to make the people like him because, again, it's so easy to make the Rampage correlation and what a better movie Rampage would be if it was George the Ape trying to make friends with the buxom lady in the window instead of that movie we reviewed earlier this year. I just love that concept of I'm this huge destructive thing and that's how I'm programmed, but we all are in this together. We're all in the same workforce, basically, because what nobody seems to realize in the high rise of Fix-It Felix is without Ralph, they're all going to be homeless. They're going to be unplugged. They're going to be out with Qbert at his tent. That was the saddest thing was homeless Cubert. <laughs> But here's my disappointment is we get the setup for all of this. We're introduced to this land. We get to see all these characters and how they interact. That's the movie I want. We leave all this behind when Ralph decides I need a medal too. I saw Felix get a medal for our 30th anniversary. I was left out. I'm going to go to a medal. All of a sudden, all of the fun I had of the toys in the toy box coming together and playing together is completely left behind as we spend The rest of the movie, with the exception of a cameo or two, focusing on games that didn't exist, and two of which aren't even 8-bit games. You've got Felix going into Heroes Duty, and that was kind of fun. I mean, I didn't think it was very Call of Duty, but it was like Wreck-It Ralph stepped into the set of Starship Troopers.
0: (laughs) See, it sounds like the movie that you were hoping for ended up being Ready Player One. You know, we go to that world and we stay in that world, for the most part. Here, we get thrown into a world, and all these characters are part of that fabric, but I don't feel like we need to hang out here forever. I'm ready for a story. I'm ready to go into a world and settle in to the actual meat of this movie. Yeah, the movie can't just be a bunch of references. It
1: can't be just remember Kuber, remember Shinobi, remember, remember, remember. Yeah, that would never work for a show like Family Guy or anything. I mean, it could be done. I mean, I think it was called the Emoji Movie, but it's not... What would dramatically work? And they are trying to work on a Pixar level. So they will eventually settle in a world that doesn't feel very video game at all. But I do think maybe at some point they were negotiating the idea that Ralph is going to team up with a new generation video game character. We see that when he's playing Heroes Duty, he is way out of his league. I thought there might be some kind of generational bias and that it would be the old guy having to learn how to be like the young soldier and vice versa that the soldier that he takes the uniform from could have been his partner in crime and not glitch you're halfway there
3: it was always going to be glitch but it was going to be a road movie with Ralph and Felix coming together on this whole thing. Felix was going to be there the entire time instead of playing catch-up, and they realized we got too much Felix in this. They took it out, but the entire second act of this movie was Felix and Ralph together. They never mentioned having a new character, which I think would have been a good dynamic. You'd then have an even odder couple. I mean, as it is, you have the odd couple. You've got the big guy and the brood with the little guy who's persnickety. I mean, they're going there. But it's not like I just want references. I mean, admittedly, I'll say up front, I will have more fun if I spend a hundred minutes and ten dollars in a barcade versus a hundred minutes and ten dollars for a ticket for this movie because of the generation I am. But I again think of Toy Story. It's not like when they decided to go with their own characters Woody and Buzz, Mr. Potato Head and Bo Peep and Slinky Dog went away. They were always part of the story. That's just not what they're doing here. Here, when we do get into the Candyland game. And really when Sarah Silverman comes in is where it does just become its own universe. And that's fine. It's just the commercials for this game played to my nostalgia and you gave me nostalgia for 30 minutes and then you took it away and you replaced it with Sarah Silverman, who I used to really like Sarah Silverman. I did. I used to be pro Sarah Silverman and everything, The I'm Matt Damon song was really funny, but something happened to her a little bit after that. I watched her stand-up comedy, and she had this entire monologue from her vagina, and from that point on, I've just never found her funny.
0: I do like Sarah Silverman. I've always found her funny. I caught on to her pretty early on. She was a bit character in Mr. Show, one of my favorite all-time sketch comedy shows, and I've kind of followed her career, and seeing her here was just kind of a bonus for me. This movie isn't going to live or die on her performance. I think she does fine playing kind of an off-kilter character here. But you guys are saying that Candy Rush feels out of character. To me... I think it's striking a balance for this movie. Up till now, it's been a nostalgia walk. It's been kind of aimed at boys and shooter video games and all this stuff. This is where we find balance. Sure, it's all bright colored and girly feeling, but it is a racing game at heart. And I think this is where it's going to bring in more people and not make it just a boy testosterone fueled movie.
1: Yeah, I mean, it reminds me of Candyland, which is a board game and not a video game. That's probably in development, too. You could have made that movie and it would look a lot like that. I just think that if you were going to make a movie about video games, it probably should always feel like you're in a video game. That's all I would argue. This does have a video game vibe. I do feel like it feels like a racing game that is dessert themed. Like, I've never seen that. But if there was one, Sugar Rush is it.
0: No, It's Mario Kart meets Candyland, yeah.
1: But this is where Ralph is going to find his equal. He's going to find someone else that lives in the dump, who is also labeled a villain and doesn't like it and wants to prove that they can be a hero, even though everyone thinks that will be a disaster. His soulmate is Vanellope. And you guys mentioned Sarah Silverman. I don't have any opinion about her. I don't watch a lot of stand-up. I don't know her. But it doesn't matter, right? I mean, who's a fan of Craig T. Nelson? But he was great as Mr. Incredible. When you're dealing with voice actors, you can forget all of that baggage about whatever they do when they stand in front of a camera and they can become the character i think that sarah silverman is this glitching little rascal that is the ralph of her world i would mostly agree
3: especially when you deal with craig t nelson because i mean i watched coach a lot but i forget that's him and i even question: do i bring up the actors but i also think there's like justin said the characters here look like they're actors and When I hear Jack McBrayer, and I finally look this up, that man's name is actually McBrayer. I never believed it. I always thought that was a stage name.
0: (laughs) He's too pure to come up with a stage name.
3: It just feels like an act with that squeaky voice, and (laughs) he looks like Fix-It Felix Jr. I mean, it's just... Mm. Which which is who?
1: Felix. Felix. No, but who is Jack McBrayer? Oh, 30 Rock. He
0: was the page... I've never seen it.
3: He was the breakout character, I dare say, on 30 Rock. He also was in Forgetting Sarah Marshall. He's done a number of movies. But the thing is, he plays one character, and you're seeing it here, too. And I think the same thing with Sarah Silverman. I just hear her voice. I did not know that was Alan Tudyk in this movie. Which is who? He's King
0: Candy. He's really putting on a voice.
1: No, I mean, I don't know who these actors are. Oh. I've never seen them in anything. I've never seen Sarah Silverman in anything. I've never seen any of these people that you're referencing and saying they look just like them. Really? Because I don't know where they work. Alan Tudyk was mostly,
3: I think, Firefly, but he was also in Tucker and Dale versus Evil. He was the droid in Rogue One, who was, like, the most popular character in Rogue
1: One. You guys are referencing things I feel like I missed, like, entirely. (laughs) Fleets of boats I missed. I don't know. And Tudyk was
3: Steve the Pirate in Dodgeball. I've just see this guy all over the place, including at conventions I go to, but he does a voice and I did not realize it was him, but Sarah Silverman and Jack McBrayer here are themselves. And yes, I agree. Jack McBrayer has less cachet than Sarah Silverman, which means he also has less baggage.
1: Yeah, and if you're casting the type, if indeed, if I were to see this guy in some sitcom or something, and he was this guy, that seems smart. You want their genuine quality to come through. I don't have any problems with anybody in the way that they're portraying the character through their voice. Glitch, I do think it's right to have a female character, but she's kind of, just the way she shows up, it's very Dennis the Menace, which is not one of my favorite characters. (laughs) But, (laughs) hey, mister! You know, she's so happy to grab the medal and take it away from our hero. And it just, she reminds me of a scrappy dude. It just rankles me. She should be sugar-addled. And I believe she comes off that way. She
3: gets better, is what I can say. Yeah, Yeah, I agree. But that introduction is... It almost made me turn on the entire film. I really had just about when I
1: realized Kubert was gone and replaced with <clears throat> this, I was pissed. <laughs> you just want to be home watching the <laughs> animated Kubert
0: movie. <laughs>
1: and I think we're meant to, I mean, again, she's cast as a villain, so if we at first turn up our nose, we're going to have the conversion everyone else does to realize that deep down she aspires to things and is capable of things and is something that people don't give her credit for being.
0: And we're going to find out really quick, either you're going to go along for the ride with this character and feel sympathy for her eventually after we see that she's not just being bratty, she is actually an outcast, and the way that other people here treat her, I can see somebody falling off of this movie if you're not willing to jump on board and follow her story.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you're more inclined to like her because she is bullied. We'll see. All right, she wants to race, whatever that means. But to see an entire candy world gang up and tear up her car. Well, yeah, now I suddenly see the corollary between her and Ralph. They are the same. They're cast out. They live in a dump and no one will let them be what they truly want to be.
3: I agree that they're... Very similar in that way, and I do feel bad for her. What I don't get, though, the reason she's an outcast is because she has a glitch. She fades out and teleports across the screen, and nobody else in that entire game does it. We're never told why, right? And it's never fixed. It's not like the amnesia she was given when Turbo took over created the problem in her head and created her being this glitch
0: no 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 we were made to believe that the glitch happened when turbo disconnected her programming from the main source that's where her glitch came in
1: and that explanation comes really really late for much of this i think we're to understand her as developmentally disabled or just different Uh, on the autism spectrum right i mean someone that people judge and people's opinions matter Everything. One thing that I think is really relevant that is going to connect with today's kids is what people playing the game think of these characters is what goes. If they don't like what they're seeing, the game gets slapped with out of order and they're hauled off and these people are homeless. This is a character whose difference makes her controversial. If she were to get in the driver's seat and be a regular playable avatar for people to play that just plunked in a quarter, the game might be discontinued. That is the fear.
3: And it's because she's broken, though. I mean, a glitch, she literally does not follow the physics of her game. Playing with her is akin to cheating, I would think.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I can see that perspective, but this movie really hit a note for me and my family, because at the time it came out, we had just found out that my daughter had epilepsy. Oh, she was diagnosed with epilepsy and we had no idea what was going on for a while. But one night we actually caught her having a seizure and it kind of freaked us out. We went to the ER, spent a few days there. They didn't know what was wrong. And eventually they had her in an MRI machine and caught the activity in her brain, the synapses misfiring, and were able to go ahead and label it what it was. So we had some answers, you know, they got her a medication and she's been healthy ever since. Mm -hmm. But at the time... This was a great movie for her. We could say, hey, you have a glitch. Because how do you tell a six-year-old there's something going on in your brain that you can't control? And some kids might think it's weird if you do have a little bit of a fit in front of them. So this movie was a nice piece to have her watch and have somebody to connect with on screen. So I can see Arnie's point of view where it's, Yeah, it's kind of a cheat in a video game, and that's the way a glitch usually is. I mean, when you say somebody's glitching, it means they're cheating. But for me personally, it really hit a note at a time in my life when I needed it.
1: Oh, yeah. I think being different is the constant. You'll see that in most any Disney movie of any era. If someone is different and ostracized for that, this just makes it contemporary because there are a lot of kids. I mean, the diagnosing of kids on the autism spectrum is very high right now. So there are a lot of people that are now finding out that their kids, for lack of a better term, have glitches. And this is a movie that is going to tell them, hey, that's okay. And you guys are completely right, and I want to say I never
3: thought about that with this, because we're in a video game world, and her glitch, she's definitely ADHD, but I never took that as her glitch, you know what I'm saying? I took her glitch as her teleportation, she's like fading out of reality, like Back to the Future with Michael J. Fox at the end, and so... I didn't get that the way, Justin, now that you've said it, I think that's a great representation for children to have there because, yeah, you don't get that in older media. Sometimes I look at a new cartoon and I ask, what does it bring that an older cartoon doesn't? And that is very important. In this world's rules, though, it creates conundrums that are mind-bogglingly inane. Like, because she's a glitch, she can't, Leave the game when everybody else can leave the game. This movie is so full of rules that these people had to come up with. Like, how do we get the characters to go together? Oh, they're going to go out the power cord. I mean, I could nitpick and say a power cord doesn't transmit any data, <laughs> but I'm not going to.
1: Yeah, it's called a fantasy. <laughs> and Alice falling through a looking glass isn't going to take her to Wonderland either. It's going to take her to the ER to get stitches. <laughs>
0: You got to go with it, Artie. I don't know what to say. Find that child deep within you. And I don't think some of these problems are as hand-wavy as you might make them out to be. I mean, go back to King Candy disconnecting her from the main programming. That would explain why she can't leave the game when everybody else can. They're still connected. She's outside of that. This King Candy,
1: I didn't expect it. I'll just go ahead and say, early on, they teased the phrase. You talk about all the lingo and rules, Arnie. One of them is, Ralph has gone turbo. And oh, turbo. And what is turbo? And again, my mind is thinking of 80s. There was a very popular... It was one of the first racing games where you actually sat down to play it, is what I remember. And then when Coleco brought it over, you had to buy like the whole steering wheel controller. (laughs) Turbo was one of the only racing games that I liked. I have a great affinity for it. But this character is made up. This is a different Turbo from an unreal video game racing game who, legend has it, because he was jealous of new generation games, broke that fourth dimension, came over into it, which is fine when it's after hours, but not fine when there are people there to play. What people think matters, and people thought the game was broken, and that meant all those characters were supposedly hauled off to the junkyard, when, in fact, we'll find out that Turbo has reinvented himself in Sugar Rush. It is a racing game, and he still wants to race. And you'll notice that King Candy does jump in. Like, when he's having and hosting this race, he's not happy watching from the sidelines. He is the first one to be revving the motor and speeding off when they're racing to play Avatars.
3: Even coming back and watching this a second time, I didn't remember, but he's obviously antagonistic he does not want vanilla b to race right he's trying to stop her in every way and so you see him as a villain but there's one scene that they convinced me where he takes ralph aside and says what you said if she becomes one of the playable characters Everybody could leave, except for her. She won't even be homeless. She'll go away when they unplug this game because she's a glitch. So it made it seem like everything he was doing, he was doing for her own good and the good of the entire civilization. I found that to be... A much more interesting conundrum than what we're going to find out actually happens.
1: Yeah, he's very convincing in that speech. And I also think because he physically reminds me of the Mad Hatter from Alice in Wonderland, the way that Tudyk is doing the voice and all of that feels very much like the Disney version of that character. Mad Hatter was a minor villain. He was annoying, maybe, but he wasn't the queen of hearts that was going to chop off your head. So I just never suspected him of being the big bad.
0: Right. And, you know, to everybody's credit, he really doesn't turn into the big bad until really late in the game. I mean, we start to see a little bit of it here and there, but when it is revealed, it is it's a surprise. Yeah. And it's it's a surprise that works.
1: But it's going to take a while to do that. And, of course, we got to have a middle where these two outcasts have to learn to work together. You know, this is where I remind myself this is made for younger people. There is a lot of underlining a theme. If you didn't understand that's what was happening, they're going to tell you often, oh, you're going to have to build something, not wreck something. And this is what heroes do. They just have to make sure that everyone in the audience, the young wee ones too understand what's being taught here and that can feel a little patronizing for older jaded people like myself that don't see that many animated films it made me wish i had my nieces because their joy is infectious and i would enjoy this a lot more
0: if i were watching people that were enjoying that and even inside of that, a lot of movies might just take shortcuts and give us a bunch of montages and whatnot. But this movie does remember that it is a video game movie, and one of the things we get to watch is a mini game inside of this movie and i I, I can appreciate that. I can appreciate them going to that extent and having a mini game to build your racer in especially in the day and age when mini games are coming about and we live in a time now where most kids don't have an arcade like we talked about. Most mm-hmm. of their games are mini games on their phone.
1: Yeah, this does feel like a phone app, right? Like bake a cake, bake a car. And you got to keep the bad ingredients out and keep the good ingredients. This feels like something everyone would play on Facebook after Farmville for the next couple weeks.
0: By the way, would you reply to my request? I need more frosting points.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. As soon as we wrap this up here.
3: (laughs) I think this part of the movie is fine. I'm not going with the chemistry between Ralph and Vanellope.
1: I'm wondering, were they ever supposed to be lovers? (laughs) I know that sounds weird because, of course, the way it plays, I didn't get that. But because we have a subplot in which Felix is going to fall in love with Calhoun, the hard-ass general, played by Jane Lynch, who comes from Hero's Duty. The idea that those two are going to find some kind of chemistry, again, I wondered about the relationship between old 8-bit games and newfangled computer games and all those pixels. Were they supposed to be happening in parallel? As it turns out, Ralph and Vanellope, it's more friends or mentorship. They both understand each other because they both come from the same dump, so to speak. But I wondered if they were supposed to be more like Felix Calhoun. I... Never saw that in
3: any of the stuff that was there. Maybe when it was Felix's main story, looking for love, it might have been her instead of Calhoun, which would have made more sense. But the way they've drawn Ralph, where he does look like a middle-aged construction worker. And the way they've drawn Vanellope, where she looks like an infant in preschool. Oh,
1: yeah, no, it totally couldn't work. The way that this is finally conceived visually, we'd be horrified if anything were to transpire here.
0: Yeah, no, what we end up getting is a character arc for Ralph where he discovers that it's less about his happiness and what he can do for himself to make himself feel better, maybe helping somebody else out is what he's missing out on.
3: But I just don't like their repartee. And this is a me thing. If I was six, body odor and fart brain jokes would make me giggle. I'm closer to 60 than six. And I'm just like, this is not for me.
1: Yeah, I'm not going to argue with that. Again, it is more enjoyable when someone in your audience is laughing and when you're watching this alone and no one is laughing, you start to wonder, does this play? Is this as good? I will say this. When I watch a Pixar movie, I usually find something for myself even when this level of humor is going on. It is a deficit of this film that they haven't given us, me, my demographic, something while they engage in this kind of more infantile pattern. Agreed. That's the thing
3: where I'm going to really love a movie that is G-rated aimed at kids is the ones that can appeal to all audiences. I felt like I was getting my fix. I mean, I enjoyed the first Shrek quite a bit. I enjoy several Pixar films. If you can give me something and the kids something like the old Muppet movies used to, I'm going to be very, very happy. Here, all I can do is go, if there was a little kid here, I'm sure they'd be loving it. And that's a step away from dragging your imaginary kids out of the mutant ninja sewer. But I don't see anything here that I feel does not meet its goals. Everything they're trying to do, they're accomplishing... But everything they're trying to do is not aimed at, like you say, a middle-aged male
0: sitting
1: alone in his living room watching after the first half hour is gone. There's nothing savvy, there's nothing hip, but it is working on its own terms.
0: Exactly. You know, you can't be everything to everybody at all times, and I think at this point the movie realizes That it's aiming to be a family movie rather than just a kid's movie. And they're not going to be able to hit everybody the whole time and keep everybody engaged. Right.
1: We all know this. If someone believes that what they are is not good enough, the lesson to learn that Ralph is going to learn that destroying things is actually a help. Yes, he destroys her cart and her dreams of competing in the race because he's offered that medal. But when he goes back to the Felix game and finds that Living alone in the penthouse is no better than living alone in the dump. He's going to come back and wreck the prison and break them out. And Felix can join in because he's got the magic hammer that can fix whatever got broken, including her cart. The
3: one thing I really did enjoy is Felix and the Sarge trying to infiltrate the Candyland and getting stuck in the Nestle quicksand. The way they were able to get out is by having Jane Lynch beat him up so the Laffy Taffy would laugh and come closer, but then he'd fix his own injuries by hitting himself in the head with a hammer. that for some reason is goofy enough, I'm going to heal myself by injuring myself by hitting myself in the head with a hammer.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I agree. There are moments here. I mean, I've never tuned out. I can say that to the movie's credit. I never feel like, oh, I just uh, this is so terrible. But I do feel like the moments where I smile or, or get a laugh in are fewer and far between than I would like. But that was something I liked. Watching yeah, a guy begging to have his teeth knocked out, literally, and then being able to hit his face with a hammer and fix that is There's something to that.
0: And luckily, this movie understands that it needs to keep its pace going, and it never dwells on any of these parts that we're kind of complaining about as the baby talk and the toilet talk and stuff like that. It's not overdone. It's there, but it keeps moving, and it's there to build a relationship or give us a funny set piece but it never dwells for too long so that I'm sitting here thinking, what am I looking at here?
1: It's almost too much that there's a bug invasion happening at the same time. You forget about the fact that Ralph has inadvertently, by going from Heroes Duty into Sugar Rush, brought this cybug who can basically co op whatever it touches. Like it ate his gun and then it had guns for hands. Now that it's here in Candyland, it has a hard candy shell and is laying eggs underneath the foundation. And we know it's going to hatch for that climb climax it would have been enough just to have king candy be turbo though right it would have been a little cleaner even if he had just stayed focused on that but i guess there would have been no reason for calhoun to come to sugar rush if she wasn't trying to purge we're told that if this virus isn't handled it will infect all games that seems like a different problem than what we were dealing with before which is that there's glitches in the games kids will demand out of order
3: Yeah, we've got so many weird things going on. Again, Fix-It Felix Jr. is going to be shut down because it has no bad guy, so nobody can play that game. We've got bugs infecting all the games. We've got a glitch who can't leave the game. I think they almost worked on it too much where they had a wealth of ideas there's going to be a sequel, some of this might have been better saved for it.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's what you call high concept. Hey, what if we had a world where all the video game characters lived? Yeah, that's great. Well, what happens in it? Uh, And then, yeah, you ask 30 people and get 30 different storylines, and about 12 of them ended up in this movie. It's an abundance of good ideas that don't all feel well served by being stuck in the same film.
0: And I think that the whole bug ending isn't overdone. I mean, I feel like it ups the ante a little bit. I mean, how would the movie end if it was just the race and she crosses the finish line? Then what do we do with King Candy? Do we exile him...
3: You could have him in the race. I mean, there have been plenty of racing movies. The one that's coming to mind is the pod race of the Phantom Menace, where the way you beat King Gandhi is by beating him in the race and taking his place. Like the winner of the race is the one who rules the land. So you dethrone him the same way the Tri-Lambs beat the Alpha Betas at the Greek <laughs> games. I mean, there's plenty of ways you can have an exciting climax that does not involve the visual Spectacle of a million bugs being attracted to a big light, but it becomes Vanellope's victory at that. Here, we want to give Ralph something to do. We want to also give visual eye candy in this candy land. If it was just a race, I don't know exactly how Ralph could play a part of that. So you've got Vanellope winning the race
1: while Ralph fights the Bucks. You're right. That's exactly why you do it, because it's a two-tier climax. The first climax is her getting to the finish line. Nobody thought she could do it, and, you know, she's the last to enter the race, and because she had been practicing her big jumping across canyons and in Incredible... There's this diet cola, like, lava field where she's been practicing and she jumped that. Because she can do that, she can get ahead of all the other racers, and it's just down to her and King Candy... But, yeah, if it's Wreck-It Ralph, you want him to have an end boss. You want him to be have a fight. And the bug conversion is scary. I mean, I think it might even be a little too scary for the wee ones when you see him become a
0: bug. It's frightening. Oh, definitely. And at the very climax, he's grabbed by King Candy and taken way up high in the air. And the way he's holding him is kind of violent. He's holding his head and keeping his eyes open to watch Vanellope die as the portal closes. It's a bit much for a younger crowd.
1: Yeah, it's intense, I think, for that audience. But that's normal. I mean, I always like to remind people, we want kids crying at the end of the Disney movie. We want them to be terrified for like five minutes. It's just a way of acclimating to fear, right? Then, like, you find out every... Everything is okay and you don't have to be so terrified of the unknown because you've seen it and you've dealt with it and it can be vanquished. And it's vanquished here because he knocks down some Mentos walls, and the cola it lights up and shoots in the air, and that draws the bugs. I thought it was the whole Mentos soda thing, where if you yeah. put the
3: Mentos in the soda, it explodes.
1: Oh, you're onto it. See, this movie is this movie is as much a candy movie as it is a <laughs> video game movie. <laughs> there were so many like cops are named like Winchell and Duncan, and they're made out of donuts. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there is so much candy talk going on again that's just one of the ideas here was a Candyland movie that never became to being and that's right i forgot that but there are plenty of youtube videos i should really watch more youtube (laughs) you can drop those mentos in and kaboom
3: i should really watch more youtube words very rarely said by anyone (laughs) but the other side of that is nobody came here these creators and said i have a passion to tell a story about video games I'm wondering if you're onto that where I didn't see it, because Rich Moore basically said he was given an assignment by John Lasseter that says, what about a video game movie? What if we had a Toy Story for video games? It's not like they accidentally stumbled into it. The writing assignment given Mm -hmm. was Toy Story for video games, and they're like, Well, I like video games, so let me do that. But none of them love video games, you know? I didn't feel like any of them would have a Space Invaders tattoo. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? It's just (laughs) They played video games. They have good memories of video games. But none of them were like, I want to make a video game movie.
0: Somebody did. There's a Leroy Jenkins reference on the wall in the terminal. I mean, somebody is steeped in video game lore. Who yeah, the hell Leroy Jenkins? You don't know the Leroy Jenkins meme? Oh, it's an old World of Warcraft video where all these guys are getting ready to go attack inside of this castle, and they spend like 20 minutes talking about their strategy, and right before they go in, one dude comes running in going, Leroy Jenkins! And he just screws up the whole thing. He goes in, starts the battle, everybody's dying, people are freaking out. It was huge, probably about 10-15 years ago.
3: You know, that sounds akin to how Brett Ratner put I'm the juggernaut bitch in X-Men 3, but that doesn't mean he actually knew the 90s cartoon, it just means he saw the <laughs> freaking YouTube video. Well. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, me saying it's huge and saying somebody's steep in lore maybe don't go hand in hand. But it's little <laughs> details like that that says that somebody at least care enough to do their homework for something like this.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of these people are passionate about some elements here, but when you mash all their ideas together, it feels different. I mean, Lion King was invented the same way, and I think if we were to ever review that movie, I would have similar problems. But they do still find something cohesive. I want to point out, it doesn't feel mangled the way that sometimes things being rewritten and redirected do. I mean, at the end of the day, because it's animated, means that they can go back and put a icing sheen on all of it, and it all feels of one piece this climax all builds and everyone learns their lessons and people get their girl and it all works out they end up making a very traditional disney movie even though they went down some untraditional paths
3: but we finally get the end and here's the big reveal i know this really upset jacob And so I knew this before I ever saw the movie, because Jacob off air, when Stuart and I and Jacob were recording one time, went off. It's gotta be a Disney princess, doesn't it? You just can't have a movie. It's gotta be a secret, like an insidious anthrax-laced letter of a Disney princess.
0: (laughs) Self-referential, though, right? I mean, they make fun of it. She takes off the dress immediately. And throws it away. We have a good six, seven years of distance from when this movie came out. And Vanellope as a Disney princess never became a thing.
1: Yeah, I I agree with that. I mean, who knows? We haven't seen the sequel. I do know that there are Disney princesses in it. And so time will tell how much they follow up on this. But I do feel like the ending brings... The loop to a close. Everyone gets exactly what they deserve. King Candy slash Turbo got destroyed. And when you die outside your game, he's gone. He won't be back in the sequel. He's dead. And Ralph learns to love being thrown off the building because it gives him a great view of seeing Vanellope's game and his new friend and a reminder that he is appreciated. But is this movie appreciated? Justin Stewart. Are you going to wreck it?
0: Justin. (laughs) You know, I think I gave my hand away pretty early here. This is a movie that I remember liking at the time. I watched it quite a few times with my daughter. And yeah, I'll admit, I probably have a bias because of, you know, what we talked about earlier towards this movie. So coming in, I wanted to kind of watch it with fresh eyes and see if there's just a little bit of haze and nostalgia I had around this movie. But at the end of the day, I enjoyed it again for what it is. I think this is a good movie that can be put up there with other Pixar movies, even though this is a Disney movie. I mean, to me, I'd watch this way before I watch cars or planes or any of that stuff. Because when I come into a movie that's 3D animated with a cast of superstar actors behind it, what I'm looking for is a backdrop that is kind of magical and can pull me out of the real world and take me along for a story. I think Toy Story does that great. And it was one of the first. It's probably going to be the gold standard forever. And I think this movie does that. It takes us to worlds where you can't necessarily go, yet still has a tether to the real world. So watching this again, I really enjoyed it. There's a few things that I kind of stumbled across. I thought the race montage with the real world song, like your foot on the pedal, whatever that country song was, was pulled me out of it a little bit and unnecessary. But for the most part, I think it's well paced. I think it's gorgeous looking. Character design throughout this movie is really neat looking. And it's a movie that I think I'm going to keep with me for my whole life, which makes me a little bit nervous that we're going to be going to the theater and revisiting this because to me, I don't know if they can go up from here. I think they only have room to go down into the Diet Cola Mentos fountain from here. So for me, it's a high recommend. Stuart.
1: You know, I don't have a lot of movies to draw on here. Again, my frame of reference, unfortunately, for this film is Pixar. So I think I judge it probably a little too harshly because it is not as good as Toy Story, any of those Toy Story movies. It does not have the emotional component that I associate with the best Pixar movies. Now, I've seen some Pixar movies that were just kind of average, like, I would sorry, I would call Incredibles 2 kind of a a flat one. This one feels on par with that, but when animation movies touch me, I remember them. This is not going to be one of those. There are films that work for dads and their kids, and then there are films that just have dad jokes. And that's what this movie has a lot of. It has a lot of references, has a lot of corny jokes. I think that it will be a delight for someone to sit with their family and experience that, but it isn't the classic that it could have been. And I do think there's a lot of ideas to explore with a video game world that could be more better utilized more entertaining i have ambitions that we can get better in the sequel so i'm going to say mild recommend but an optimism for where we're headed and i'm coming down somewhere in the middle
3: i think the first half hour of this movie was strong recommend a hundred percent all the way because you had basically that toy story thing with video games where you had the old characters there with some new original ones but yet Making it the real world, where they're, you know, going to the bar. I, you know, Tapper, but they're ah,
1: hanging out at the bar. That's all they have to do. Cubert and Tapper and Arnie recommend. Green Arrow. <laughs> <laughs> it had just been an episode of Cheers in Tapper. Green Arrow. <laughs> Ralph!
3: <laughs> <laughs> but when it gets out of the arcade, it loses a lot for me. And it just becomes fine. It's never bad. It's a lot of time not for me. It's never bad. I'm glad that there's no musical number. I'm glad at no point do Ralph and Vanellope decide to break into song together and then we'd have it covered by Ariana Grande for the CD. There is a Rihanna tune here, but yes, they don't sing it. (laughs) Yes. And Randy Newman had a song in Toy Story, but it doesn't bother me because it's not Woody singing it. Someday I think we just need to review Toy Story so I can actually be really positive about a cartoon. Here, it's a wannabe Toy Story. And so I'll give it a wannabe Green Arrow. You know, it's, it's so recommend. I think it's a fine movie. I think the younger you are, the brighter a Green Arrow it's going to be. And then I also think a lot of the stuff that I love about this movie will be completely lost on you because you didn't grow up with it. Mm -hmm. It's a very fine balancing act this movie's trying to do, but I'm with Stewart. I think you can go up from here. I think you could have a more even movie. Now that the characters have been introduced, I'm curious what happens when they go on the internet. This movie started off like it would be the road trip movie they were thinking about doing with Ralph and Felix, but- It ended up not being that at all. They just broke down in Candyland and got stuck there. The next time, I'm very curious to see what happens to an 8-bit game in a 128-bit world. Yeah. I'm looking forward to next week. But yeah, I'm going to recommend this movie and it's not even a reserved recommend. I said it earlier. I think it accomplishes everything. Everything it set out to do, it's just never going to speak to me outside of that first half hour. I hope they find a way to merge new characters and old next week a little bit better.
0: See, and that's what scares me about next week is I'm afraid that they're going to go for that audience that they feel like they missed. And we're going to get a bunch of Candy Crush jokes and Facebook jokes. Mm. But we'll see.
1: Yeah, that emoji movie was a big hit. Sorry to say. (laughs) It was really? It really was.
0: Oh, I thought it bombed.
1: Because everyone hated it, and yet somehow it will have a sequel.
0: People hate-watched it. Yeah, I did for
1: about 10 minutes, and then I just hated it. It couldn't. (laughs) (laughs) It went from like, oh, I love how bad this is, to like, okay, I'm out. That's just wrong that it did. Oh, my God, Mm. I'm kind of pissed. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, if you want some things that also deserve the poop, Emoji, But not this week. M. Night Shyamalan. We're early in the M. Night Shyamalan. The good years. We just covered Sixth Sense last week. And this Friday we'll be touching on his follow-up, Unbreakable. And this one's important because it's the movie that lays the foundation for where they're headed with Glass. I saw it
3: once in theaters. I'm looking forward to revisiting it and seeing what we think now. And I want to just thank every listener who has donated for this fall
1: series and hope you can join us for the M. Night Shyamalan and if you can join us to be a patron this month it's a really good month to do so we just released Apocalypse Now for Veterans Day on Sunday and it is one of my favorite war movies now and then maybe forever the patron the patron it's daunting As of this recording, we haven't
3: recorded that, and I do feel like we're going to go into the heart of darkness and like a record-breaking recording time on that movie. It is certainly a classic that I'm looking forward to discussing, and I hope you can join us for that as well. And... If you enjoy this show, please head to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. And if you didn't enjoy this show, please don't. But if you decide to, it really does help spread the word about Now Playing and let other listeners know that they should check us out. So one second, I'm having the time of my life, and the next thing I know, my game is just done
0: And bad, and that's good. I will never be good,
2: and that's not bad, there's no one I'd be than me. Okay, gang, see you next week. Thank you for joining us for this installment of Now Playing's Wreck-It Ralph Retrospective. That is what the internet was made for! Come back to nowplayingpodcast.com each week for another new movie review podcast. We haven't been this popular in years. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can listen to the other installments at our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. Where are
1: we going to find that?
2: The internet! You can also listen to hundreds of other movie reviews, including podcasts dedicated to every movie ever based on a video game, like Final Fantasy, Resident Evil, and Super Mario Brothers. When these video games become so violent scary! You can follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini-reviews. Links to our social media pages are available on our homepage.
3: You are trending, and
2: these are for you. Heart, heart, for hearts, 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 <laughs> hearts, 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 yes, hearts, Now Playing relies on listener support to keep operating. Border alert. Border alert. You can find details on how to support our show and receive exclusive bonus podcasts at nowplayingpatron.com.
0: We ask them to help us out on the bonus levels.
2: Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho.
0: attention to detail is pretty
2: impressive. Now Playing's video game retrospective series is edited by Arnie.
1: Why do I fix everything I touch?
2: Now playing credits read by Brock. I'm pretty sure he's just
1: trying to guess what you're gonna say. Yes, I'm sorry, but my autofill is a touch aggressive today.
2: The opinions expressed on now playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated.
1: You're not wrong.
2: Now Playing Podcast is a production of Venganza Media Incorporated, copyright 2018, all rights reserved. Venganza Media is not affiliated with, and this podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by any entity that created the film analyzed herein.
3: Are you guys okay? Should I call the police?
2: All movie clips and music used in this podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review, and no infringement is intended.
3: The rules are there for a reason, Vanellope, to protect us.
2: Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of, and no part of the show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed, and the Now Playing trademark may not be used without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. Whew, what a day. So, you want to head to Tappers, Ken? you your buying, buddy.
3: you know it just even when this movie started i got because it starts with that magic castle with the fireworks. And if you wish upon a star, you know, your dreams don't come true. If you wish upon a star, that's a terrible right. lesson. Your dreams come true. If you work for it, if
1: you're <laughs> lucky. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. Uh, funny aside on that, q always a moment of pain, really, because I was allowed to just write plays in elementary school. And I would just on a weekly basis. Basis. All right, we're doing Cabbage Patch. You know, we like we just come and we workshop this thing and put it on by Friday. And Qbert was the last one we did. I don't know if you remember. I had this whole idea about stacking chairs and jumping off of them. And I do someone got hurt. <laughs> <laughs> so it was the end of my uh, career as a playwright. Really. I remember seeing you stack them, and I'm like, "That's not a good idea," <laughs> and it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> nor was, nor had the woman not fallen off the top cube. Do I think that people were robbed of a Tony Award-winning uh, play and the next Edward alby I was not, but uh, i I'm just
0: imagining a girl on the side throwing snakes at you as you're trying to run down the stairs. Yeah, yeah.
1: hop on them faster, okay? And now call nine one one. And you didn't even have the billy Jean light up effects going on on those chairs. Oh, I was working on that. I was. Gonna to run out there and pull the rug literally out from under them
3: <laughs> yeah you didn't need to they <laughs> fell on their they,
1: own they beat me to the <laughs> bunch
3: <laughs> <laughs> and fix it felix jr and it really bugs me by the way donkey kong jr came after donkey kong where's like fix it felix i'm hoping that's in wreck it ralph 2 is like we see the pappy because fix it felix jr
2: you're <laughs>
1: And you know, I used to love Bill Cosby. He was such a funny, (laughs) funny man. And the Jell-O pudding pops. What
0: happened?
3: You know, I just listened to all of Bill Cosby's old stand-up albums. I'd never listened to them before. There are some really uncomfortable moments about like how guys just want it all the time and you just got to take it. And something He has this whole routine about Spanish Fly and about when he was doing, yeah, when he was filming I Spy, they Mm. actually went to Spain and looked for Spanish fly.
0: Wow. Dude, they made jokes about that in the Cosby show. Like, that was something he carried on. And, like, there's people have pulled clips of him, like, without any of that knowledge, it's kind of funny. But now with the knowledge, it's just creepy as fuck. Like him talking to Claire, <laughs> like, I've got some more up in the bedroom. It's like,
3: what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, that, that was the barbecue <laughs> sauce. Like he had a special aphrodisiac <laughs> barbecue sauce on the Cosby show that uh, he fed people and they got all amorous. But no, there's <laughs> so there's like I could make a cringe reel of like 15 minutes of Bill Cosby stand up <laughs> about him hitting on younger women and about how men have you know back to the cave days men just want to take women men only want one thing it's just like oh dude you're
0: not helping just (laughs) just have the crowd reaction being like
1: (gasps) (gasps) (laughs) i would like to talk to you about the things you say in your show
0: (laughs) i think he was in both the english or original and american version of two weddings and a funeral two, weddings. two no. weddings and a funeral is that what it's called? what's three called three weddings and four a funeral. <laughs> what is it called four weddings and a funeral four weddings and a fu- i was only off he's by not two he's not in that <laughs> he's not no. <laughs> no who the hell's that guy then <laughs> are you thinking hugh grant no <laughs> <laughs> so now i gotta easier. look it up <laughs> wasn't he the dude took acid on accident no
1: huh it's not him. You guys are referencing things I feel like I missed, like entirely. Oh, <laughs> Fleets man. And boats
0: I missed. I Is don't it? know. Well, apparently I missed it, too, because I'm not sure who <laughs> I'm thinking of yeah. now. The
3: same way, oh, God help me, the, the tri lambs beat the alpha betas at the Greek <laughs> games. <laughs> Is that something Star Wars? No, oh, it's, it's Revenge, an animal of the house. Nerds. Revenge of
0: the Nerds. Okay. <laughs>
3: I also want to say none of them were appropriately candy obsessed because on the bonus feature, they're all like, yeah, the first couple days we had candy everywhere because we needed to learn to 3D model it. But after a day or two, we just got tired of the sugar buzz. Who gets tired of a sugar buzz? I do half these shows on a sugar buzz.
1: (laughs) It's true. He's got a whole bag of like brown sugar right now. This is brown sugar it. raw. <laughs> <laughs> just doing a few lines.
2: <laughs>
0: nice. And I'm not. I'm not crazy. I just misremembered that movie. It's Death at a Funeral, not Four Weddings in a Funeral. And Alan Tudyk is in it. <laughs>